Thanks for listening to The Vine's podcast. The Vine is a church in Austin, Texas, with the simple goal of following Jesus together. And we hope this message helps you in doing just that. Last week, Andrew Fike gave an awesome message introducing us to this uh, series. And he mentioned in it that uh, the descriptions of David that we found in that first passage sound a little bit like me because I'm ruddy and stuff like that. I, uh, I don't know much about that, but I do know from a lot of life experience, what it's like to be the underdog. And I know how we all love rooting for the underdog. I, I had a, a one year where I played football. It was seventh grade. And guys, I was so small. Like, my shoulder pads went up here. My helmet just rested on my shoulder pads. It wasn't protecting anything at all. Like, remember the helmets? Like, it was just like a clothes hanger, like making a T right here. It was so dangerous, and I was the runt of the team, and uh, I remember one day in particular, one practice where I was like, hey, okay, this is my off-ramp. This is, this is when I leave. Uh, we, in this practice, the, we had these drills where you would line up in two different lines, and someone would be the offense. They would try to get a touchdown, and this line, you would line up, and you'd try to tackle them. Being the smallest one, I was not really good at football, but I was really good at counting the place in the line to see, all right, who am I lined up with? And I'd always, like, sneak behind someone going, all right, good, I, I want to be next to that person. And uh, right before it was my turn, someone got called out of the line, and I was lined up with Jimmy Contreras. You don't want to be lined up with Jimmy Contreras. I had the sixth grade, Jimmy Contreras had, like, lamb chop sideburns. He was a man-child. This is my five-day shadow now. Like... Jimmy Contreras was a big dude, and so everyone on the team saw what was happening, and they saw Mark, shoulder pads on the helmet, and Jimmy Contreras, who was rolling a cigarette probably, (laughs) (laughs) and slowly they started chanting, it's not really a great chant because it's such a long name, (laughs) but they started chanting my name, and like all of a sudden, like the whole team was like rooting for me. They were like rooting for the runt of the team. And guys, somehow he like got in my head. I was like, I'm going to level him. <laughs> Sorry, Jimmy, it's coming in hot. I'm going to flatten you. And uh, so everyone was cheering me on, and Jimmy was like, all right. So he got the ball, and then when the ref blew his whistle, I, mean, I remember charging him. And guys, he hit me so hard. <laughs> like my helmet was like just spinning around my head. Before I even hit the ground, I was in the fetal position crying for my mom. Like, it was that bad. And like, a week later, the, the coach called everyone into the locker room and said, hey, there's some, there's some boys here. I appreciate your effort, but you just don't belong on this team. And it's, there's no shame. You can go ahead and quit. It's all right. We're not going to mock you. I'm going to go in my office, and if you want to quit, it's fine. You just know you don't belong here. You just go ahead and quit. So, all those little kids, like four and a half feet tall, all like went in there, and this like bigger Kyle Hubert went in there, and coach said, I understand you guys want Kyle, go back out to practice. I understand you guys want to quit, and that's all right. So that was my last day playing football. And I've been the underdog. I, it's, just, it's just funny how we just naturally root for the underdog. You can still have that experience if you go to that boot camp that was just spoken. You can see me trying to do burpees. You might cheer me on there too. I, it's hard. It's hard being physical in a Charbonneau. It doesn't come in our gene pool. <laughs> but it's just natural that we love to root for the underdog. As we looked at last week's story, we looked at 
how David in many ways was the unlikely character to be chosen by God. I mean, even when uh, Samuel the prophet asked uh, for his father Jesse to gather all the sons, even then David was, was left out. He was just not likely. And yet somehow God, he looks deeper, he looks at the heart, and he, he cares about the heart when it comes to whom he's choosing. And for us, it's, it's incredible what happens in the life of David. It shows us that the power and courage to live after God, to, to know who we are and to follow God's ways. What we find in the story today is like the archetype for the ultimate underdog story. It's the ultimate underdog story. Even if you haven't cracked open a Bible, you're probably familiar with the story of David and Goliath. Even if you're not familiar with Scripture at all, you know that story Many ways, because a lot of underdog stories that we know borrow from this story. And for me, this story has just come alive this week. I'm so excited about sharing this message. It's come alive to me because uh, knowing, knowing many of you, I know that right now you're facing giants in your life. Giants of new chapters, new beginnings, giants of a hard diagnosis, a giant of a difficult relationship. And you're staring at this giant And this, I really believe this story could give us great insight about how to face the giants in a way that not only sparks courage, not only sparks victory, but does it where we get to experience God in a new and a fresh way. So, like I said last week, uh, we heard how how Samuel was there to anoint a new king, and he called all of Jesse's sons, and finally said, do you have any other sons? Because I'm not... This, none of your sons are being called to be king. And then uh, Jesse said, well, I have another son named David. And so David showed up and Jesse, uh, uh, Samuel anointed him as king. And then he just up and left. And the interesting thing for me is that, guess what happens after that? Guess what change happens after David was anointed? Not much. <laughs> it, was, it was incredible. It was like, all right, David, you're anointed to be king. Samuel leaves and they're like, Okay, David, go back to take care of the sheep. I guess it's a kingly thing to do. Like, <laughs> you still have chores, you still have things to do. And it's interesting for me because in my life, I've often felt like there have been times where God has called me to something new, where God has invited me into a new chapter. And the hardest thing happens after that, which is waiting. Waiting. And waiting, even though you felt like, God, I, I feel like you've given me direction, that you've set me apart for this new experience, oftentimes what happens after that is a period of waiting. But what we have experienced, what we see even in the life of David this week, is in the mundane moments of our days that God might be preparing us to play that role. It was the case for David, and it might be the case for our life as well, that God doesn't waste any of your days Even though you might feel like God's prepared you and called you to go do something and here you are, you're in a period of waiting, that God is actually preparing you. God is telling a story in your life, making you ready for that new role. God was building a story in the life of David. So let's go there. This is in 1 Samuel 17. The Philistines were a neighboring community. They had uh, continued to threaten the people of Israel over and over again. And for 40 days, the Philistine army... And the armies of Israel had this charade almost. This 40 days they would line up on the top of two hillsides with a valley in between. And for 40 days this champion, this giant named Goliath, he would walk out 
from the Philistine uh, uh, troops. He'd walk out and he would call out for a challenger from the Israelites. He'd call out for a representative from the Israelite community. This is in verse 8 of 1 Samuel 17. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? And, and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you'll become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistine said, This day I defy the armies of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and the other Israelites were all dismayed and terrified. At the sight and the sound of this giant, these men, these people were locked in fear. For 40 days this has been happening. They were stuck. They were stuck in fear. It's interesting nowadays we, we get to get insight of what's going on within Within the brain, we actually have brain imaging that can see what's happening when certain experiences are, are happening in our life. And there's a certain part of our brain when fear is, in, is happening in our life, when we become struck with fear, that it becomes activated. This part of your brain becomes turned on, and once it is turned on, it is really hard to turn off. In other parts of our brain, uh, uh, like places where we might have higher thinking or creativity, or imagination, or even maybe the place where faith might exist, those parts of the brain are turned off. And just this one part of our brain is activated. What they have found is that experiences like delight and joy, they're like Teflon. They just slide right off when you experience it. But fear, it's like Velcro. It's hard to shake. It's hard to shake loose. And when fear's claws are dug into you and it grabs you, it's, you can't just shake it loose. We can become stuck in fear. So for 40 days, this has been happening. And David's three eldest brothers, they were in the army. They were there. And David is back with the sheep. Again, back with the sheep. David's father comes to him and says, uh, I want you to deliver some food for me, the front lines, and also while you're there, just check on your brothers, ask them how they're doing. And it just so happens when David shows up, this is how it is with God, it just so happens when David shows up is right when Goliath is stepping out. It's right when Goliath is picking up his routine. He's doing his morning routine of mockery and threats. <laughs> and in verse 25, this is what they say around David in verse 25. Now the Israelites have been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? How he comes out to defy Israel? The king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him a daughter in marriage and will exempt his family from taxes in Israel. Huh. <laughs> and uh, what we see here is a great difference between the perspective of the Israelite troops and what we see about who David is. We get inside of David's heart, David's mind. And so this for us is the first lesson in how we can face our giants. Verse 26, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills the Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is the uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him, what they had been saying and told him, this is what will be done for him. 
for the one who kills him. They're like having this conversation. Have you experienced this where you're, you're talking at the same time, back and forth with someone, but you're having two different conversations? You know what that's like? That's happening right here. And what we see right here is the difference, the point of view between the troops that were stuck in fear and David. What, what are the troops focused on? Well, do you see how this man keeps coming out? So they're, they're focused on Goliath. And what else? Oh, if you, if you defeat the, the giant, this is what will happen. You'll get wealth, a bride, and a good tax break. Cool. What is David's perspective? This Philistine is causing disgrace to God's people. And who is he that he should defy the armies of the living God? Like for, for David, it's not about a tax break. It's not about getting a wife or wealth. It's, you know, guys, you know that God's alive? You know that, that God's alive and responds, that he's active in this world? We see here the two different points of view and this flimmy promise of wealth and marriage and tax exemption it means nothing to David. What matters to him is he's looking at the living God and wondering how come no one has taken on this giant. It is so important for us to focus on the right thing. It is so important for us to focus on the right thing. So I, I want to do one of my favorite things. If you've been around a while, we did this two years ago. I reserve the right to do this every two years because I love it so much. We're going to do a little experiment. Would you all stand up, please? So we're going to show a video. Uh, this was used in a psychology experiment, and it shows the power of focusing on the right thing. So if you've seen this, it's a basket. We're going to count basketballs. We're going to go around. If you've seen this, would you sit down? If you've seen this, okay, good. Okay, that's perfect. Look at all of you. You've never seen this. Great. And if you realize you have seen it, just sit down. Okay. So from right here, this side. Can you all raise your hands? Right here, this side. Okay. You are the black T-shirt team. Right here, this side. You are the white T-shirt team. Raise your hand. So black t-shirts, white t-shirts, black t-shirts, white t-shirts. Okay, so we're about to watch a video, and your job is to count the number of times that your team catches the ball, not throws the ball, but catches the ball. And you're, so you're, what, what team are you? So you're going to count the number of times that the black team, the black t-shirt team catches the ball. You're going to catch the number of times that the white t-shirt team, right? White t-shirt team catches the ball. Okay, count silently, and we'll see who gets the right number, all right? So count silently. Don't count out loud. All right, let's see. Here we go. Okay. All right, so white t-shirt team, how are we doing? How many times? They're very angry over there. White t-shirt team, how many times do they catch the, catch the ball? 14? 16? Did I hear $1? Okay, interesting. Black t-shirt team, how many times did you? 18. 18. Wow, very strong. Very strong. Okay, so the real point of this experiment is, so you saw the number of times that these balls were caught, but who saw the gorilla? Okay, so let's see here. Who saw the gorilla over here, white t your white t-shirt? So maybe like, what do you think, one out of ten? One out of ten saw the gorilla, black t-shirts, how are we doing? Oh, wow, look at over here. Okay, so white, hey, let's all look at the white t-shirt because this is the fun part. 
Who here th like, has no clue what I'm talking about? Raise your hand proudly. <laughs> Guys, all right, so here, I'm going I'm to ruin this for you. There's, in that video you just saw, a gorilla walked out in the middle of everyone, stopped, beat his chest, and kept walking. Can we watch this again? Right now you're counting. It's interesting. They're swirling around. Okay, looking at the right-hand side of the screen enters a gorilla. Uh, I mean, guys, that's pretty obvious. Do you, do you just see gorillas that much where you don't even recognize them? All right, you'll have a seat. You'll have a seat. Now, why is it that, like, a majority of this group saw a gorilla come out and a majority of this group didn't? Well, because like you were training yourself, all right, I'm going to ignore that which doesn't matter and I'm going to focus on what matters to me. And so because you're looking at the, the black t-shirts, of course you're going to see a, a, a black gorilla walking in the frame. And because you had chosen to ignore the, the people with black t-shirts, you, you were blind to it. Now, there is a deep, deep spiritual truth to this, which is this. What you choose to focus on determines what you don't see. What you focus on determines what you miss. So when you, <laughs> by choosing to focus on the wrong thing, you are missing some really powerful truths. And if you are choosing to focus on the wrong thing, the things that are perhaps small in your life are made big. So because of these troops, they were focused on the size of Goliath and a measly tax break. They were not ready to face the giants in their life. But because David, he knew the living God, he experienced living God, he was focused on the right thing. And for us to experience God in our life in a way that, that, that for me, that just prepares us to fight the giants in our life, we must, we must learn to focus on the right thing, because if not, it's going to determine what we miss. And for many of us, we might be facing giants in our life, and the idea of a living God is so far from our picture, that the living God could be walking in the midst of this battle that you're facing, <laughs> stop, beat his chest, and go, hey, I'm here. But because you have focused elsewhere, the sound of the giant's cry, you haven't, you haven't seen the living God active in your life. Friends, for us to face the giants in our life, we must focus on the right thing. That God is alive, God is active, God hears prayers, He moves heart, He changes our world. This is who God is. What, how would our battles be different if we remembered that God is alive and active in there. That's the first way that we're going to face giants differently. David's view is challenging to the status quo. And what happens when you challenge the status quo is this will happen next. Verse 28, when Eliab, David's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned at anger with him being David. His brother burned at anger at David and asked, why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those sheep in the, in the wilderness? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. And David, like a younger brother, says something like this. Now what have I done? Can I even speak? <laughs> so we see here, David's first opponent is not Goliath. 
His first opponent is the attack on the heart. Like where we, we see that David is experiencing, he's about to step out on the battlefield, and we have this, his brother attacking his heart. He's deceitful, he's wicked. And if we're honest, we, we know what this is like. We, you know that whisper that attacks your heart. It might be something that someone says to you, or it might even be the voice within you. And then too often in our life, it just sucks the energy and the courage out from us. Too often I know that subtle whisper in my life, when I'm about to step out in courage, and some, some voice inside of me goes, I know who you really are. You're a fraud. You're a screw-up. You're a mess-up. You can try to fool everyone else, but you can't fool yourself. And I know I'm not alone in hearing that whisper. And the unfortunate things, oftentimes, the words that sometimes are the most painful come from the people who know us the most, from our own family. And I believe such damage can be done in our life, such damage can happen on the battlefield when we over-identify with our failures, our mistakes, and we give too much credence for that whisper to speak truth into our life, when we hold on to that whisper and we kind of give up to it, but David knows himself enough to dismiss that, that whisper, that speaking lies. He knows him, himself enough to dismiss that snare of his brother's scorn. Maybe it's because, maybe it's because he's experienced being anointed as God's child, as God's beloved, that he was anointed and set apart. Maybe that soaked in deep enough when, when lies and whispers that come to him like that, he, he, can, he can have it fall off to the wayside because he remembers who he really is. So last week when you came forward and you were anointed with oil, I heard from a lot of you, it said, that was really meaningful. I wasn't not expecting. Last week when we gathered here in worship, we finished with being anointed with oil and just the simple truth of saying, you're a beloved child of God. Remember that Christ is with you. We need that. We need that for one of the main purposes is that we don't identify with the lies that are given to us. We, there's something that goes even deeper than our failures, our, our mistakes, our past, or something that goes even deeper. If we've been received in God's Spirit, if Jesus' Spirit is alive in us, that is the most true thing of who you are. That in a million ways, this, this truth of God's presence in, in you is teaching you who you are. In a million ways, who you really are, fighting for you, renewing you, that you are a beloved child of God. And that runs deeper than anything else. David had this anointing from God so that his brother's words didn't stick. But then Saul catches wind that this young man is actually willing to fight, fight Goliath. In verse 32, David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on the count of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And then Saul replied, you're not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. <clears throat> but David said to Saul, verse 34, Your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and carried off the sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, it seized it by a hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord rescued me from the paw of the lion, the paw of the bear, will res and he will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. I think in the, in the time between the anointing and this moment, God had been preparing David. 
that God had shown up in the, while, in the waiting, in, in the wonder of like, God, I thought you, you anointed me. Why am I still taking care of the sheep? I think in the middle of that time that God was preparing David to play this role. God was giving David a story of his faithfulness. And notice it wasn't just David who fought these animals. The Lord who rescued me then will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. It was God who did it then. And the same God that was faithful then is going to be faithful now. For us to face the giants and fight the giants in our life today, we must remember God's faithfulness. Though you might not have killed bears and lions in your past, you do have a story if you've walked with God. Christ, the great Redeemer, has seen you and shown up in your past. And if only we could be people who weren't forgetful to remember the testimony that we have of a God who's been faithful, loyal, who's heard our prayers, who showed up, who's fought for us. If only we kept in our hearts and our mind the legacy of God's faithfulness. Some of us have been delivered from the darkness of doubt and depression. Some of us know the experience of hitting rock bottom. Some of us have battled with addictions. We have trusted people and they've disappointed us. Our loved ones have been taken from us. Many of us, we know the rubble of our own selfishness, how we hurt the people we love the most. And we have had these moments when we thought there was no way out. But then God. But then God showed up. But then God showed off that he's a redeemer. But then God showed you the power of his faithfulness, his loyalty, his goodness. And you experience an unexpected, undeserved redemption. So that now, when we hear the giants in the distance, rather than being imprisoned to fear, we can remember the goodness of the Lord. The same God who rescued me then is here now. And when you face the giant in your own life, remember who God has been. For the battle that we have experienced in the past has prepared us for the battle we have now. So what does Saul do when he blesses David to go and fight Goliath? Then Saul dresses David in his own tunic. He put on a coat of armor on him. Uh, So he put on the, the armor. He says, I cannot get these because I'm not used to them. So then he took him off, and then he took his staff in his hand, and he chose, listen to this, five smooth stones from the stream, and he put them in the pouch of the shepherd's bag, and there's sling in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. This isn't the response that that we might expect. We might expect someone to get armored up and get ready to to fight the giant. And uh, the temptation that we have is that when we face the giants in our days, we might be tempted to put on someone else's armor, If only I could look like them, pray like them, act like them. If only I could have that knowledge or those Bible verses, maybe then I could step on the battlefield. If only if I had that personality or that charisma or that gifting, maybe then I could face the giant. But what David shows us is that the best strategy for you to step on the battlefield in your life is to be vulnerably and boldly you, to bring forth your true self, you're not going to find victory fighting your battle as someone else. You're not going to find victory in your battle borrowing someone else's life. David shows us that there's power in being vulnerable. There's power in being authentic. 
There's power being true to self. Not only that, but the greatest gift that you can offer this world is the true you. Not you borrowing someone else's armor, but the you that God has redeemed and is still redeeming. Though you might have wounds and scars, that the Lord is still, still promised to be with you. And then when you walk out on that battlefield with your vulnerable true self, you might experience freedom in your courage. So quit wasting your time borrowing someone else's armor. It doesn't work that way. Quit wasting time hoping that maybe one day you could fit in that someone else's armor. There's power in being vulnerable. There's power in being vulnerable. Maybe that's what Paul said, and his power is made perfect in my weakness. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So then David steps into the battlefield at his vulnerable self. And with everyone watching, including the snickering from the Philistines and the disbelief of this young boy from the Israelites, David stepped out. And by the way, I'm sure his older brothers loved this too, right? Verse 41. Meanwhile, the Philistine, with his shield bearer in front of him, kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to him, to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said. I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Imagine like a WWF wrestling match and what they say beforehand, right? But David places someone else on that battlefield with him that day. David said to the Philistines, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you. What? In what? In the name of the Lord Almighty, God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied, this day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I will give the carcass of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel." And all those gathered here will know that it's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Before anything else, I know there's some people right now that you don't have to think about if, if there's a battlefield in your life, if there's a giant in your life. Right now, you're feeling under attack. Wherever you are, I just want, want, I just want to read that verse over, over you again today. It's not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. It's His. It belongs to Him. This battle that you're facing right now, you might feel alone. I'm just going to tell you right now, the battle is the Lord's. He's there. He's with you. When we face our giants, we must learn to give God the battle. He's not going to leave you. He's not going to leave your side. And though you might not feel it, he's going to fight for you. And David knew God's power was there, and it gave him great courage. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. I love this, that David didn't flee, but he charged Goliath. He ran after that giant, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck in the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. 
And the powerful thing happens with this. Once the armies of Israel saw David living out his power and his vulnerability, once they saw someone living out a victory, knowing that God was going to fight for him, guess what happened? Once they saw that, that the battle was the Lord's, they were freed from their fear and they chased down their enemy as well. When this watching world sees you step out with victorious courage, what they will do is they will sense this unspoken permission and license to have courage as well, to be their vulnerable self, to step on the battlefield in their life, to move from fear to faith. I believe David's life, his story right here, gives us great understanding of what we must do to face our giants. To face our giants, focus on the right thing. We remember God's faithfulness. We bring forth our true self. We give God the battle. And it's only then and after that are we prepared to chase the giant. Now, a word of warning, not every battle ends with a preteen flexing over a giant's carcass. God's salvation and deliverance sometimes looks, looks different than we expect. Sometimes it's hard to see. Maybe it's not even what we hoped for and we've been praying for. But in the midst of the storms and the battles of life, there can be peace. There can be peace that surpasses understanding. There can be hope that Christ is with us. And with Christ, it always ends in victory. How do I know this? Well, a thousand years after David's life, someone else would walk this earth. In the spirit of David, he was told, He too was born in Bethlehem. He too received doubt and criticism even from his family. He too had a battle to fight that was before him. You see, Jesus had a different kind of giant to go after. It was the monster of sin and shame, the monster of separation between us and God and us and each other. And it was on that great battlefield where crowds were gathered to, the battle lines were drawn. He too was mocked. He didn't choose to wear the armor of power, of violence, popularity. Just like five ordinary stones, Jesus chose an ordinary cross. And he gave his vulnerability. He gave his woundable self. And while all of heaven and hell watched, Jesus laid himself down on that cross. And on that cross was all the sin and separation that we've all experienced, the power of shame and guilt, the hostility between people on that cross, it was defeated. And when Jesus said it was finished, that giant was slain. But it wasn't expected. For the living God which David drew his strength, that living God died. But three days later, three days later, our Savior came forth on that glorious morning to show that Jesus' story won't end in death showing that your story won't end in death, but the living God is the living God, both now and forevermore, so that for us as followers of Jesus, if people have been redeemed in Jesus, wherever you're stepping in your life, whatever battlefield that's awaiting for you in your life today, you begin in the place of victory. That's where you start. You start in the place of victory, and then you gather your courage knowing that Jesus is with you, You remember God's faithfulness shown in Jesus. You focus on the right thing. You keep your eyes fixated on Jesus. You bring your true self and you give God the battle.
remembering that it is already his. This is how we face the giants in our life.